BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we do this, we got to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and sponsoring this podcast. I'm going to play the song while I read that. What do you say? That'd be kind of cool, right? Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150 are sponsors, as well as our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. That's kind of fun. All right, let's see if we can reach out to Tracy Bame right now. We're just winging it here. We're live, guys. This is how we've been doing this. And we just cross our fingers. And, oh, oh. I love when the, the little sound. Oh, that's great that you do. Yeah. <laughs> love that little sound. All right, Tracy Bame, we got her. We're calling her. Right. Fingers crossed. Hopefully she answers. Yeah, she does uh, if we if she does it, we're well. No, it's like you listeners are gonna hear stalling at its best. <laughs> uh, she's ready to go. All right, this happened last time, so we may have to call her on the, the old. Maybe we should do phone. is uh, uh, call uh, Stacy Davis Gates. Oh, because last time we were gonna <laughs> we were call Stacy, and then we had, and we then Tracy Stacey. answered. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, by the way, I just want to say uh, while we're trying to track down Tracy Bame, uh, that Jamie weighed in. She's not a big fan of Gary Owen. Uh, Dennis just told me she, he read her bit from it. Maybe, uh, Jamie, we could bring Gary Owen on to defend himself. would love to have Gary Owen on the show to defend himself. That's because not happening. I, no, you don't think we could reach out to him? Remember that? You were, we, we were thought, talking about, well, how can we get Gary Owen on the show? Uh, but, yeah, he's dealt with that issue of cultural appropriation many times. Uh, he's dealt with it on stage. He's dealt with it uh, on his podcast. And uh, so love to bring him on. Tracy, are you there? Mm-hmm. All right, you sound pretty good. We were trying to do a Facebook uh, 
uh, connection, but this is going to work just as well. Tracy Bain, publisher of Chicago Reader. Tracy, uh, I've been promoting your Tracy Riff on uh, President Trump and the world of politics. But before we do that, the main reason I brought you on is to talk about uh, the coloring book promotion. So take it away, Tracy. Well, we have this amazing uh, 50-page coloring book out with featuring over 50 artists from the Chicago area. It's such a range of artwork and styles and content. And we made this push in just four days last week. So we were just blown away by the quality of the art the both startup and as well as respected artists in town. Um, what's happening is we're splitting 50-50 with the artists. Um, and that means uh, for every $30 PDF download or $45 book that you buy, 50% of that's going to be put among those artists. And then 50% goes to the Chicago Reader. It's been really well received on social media. Um, and we're just really excited about it. People can go to chicagoreader.com forward slash coloring book, and you'll get linked right to be able to purchase it. As soon as you purchase the PDF download, you get an automatic response to download the 50, it's actually 55 pages in the PDF. And then if you order the book itself, we'll be mailing those out next week. It's great, a great way to help the Chicago reader in these trying times. And another promotion that uh, Tracy's coming up with, and this one affects me, uh, I, I call it the greatest hits book. Tracy, I don't know if, if that's the official name of the project, but that's what I've been calling it. Uh, and so what Tracy came up with, the idea is that writers go through their um, their archives and come up with stories that they're proud of, articles that they've written. And so that's a challenge for me, Tracy. I've been writing for the reader on a regular basis since 1984. And here comes the train. You can hear the brown line. It's going right past my house, Tracy. And uh, <laughs> so when you sent out that, uh, that message saying that you were, we were going to be compiling these books, I was overwhelmed. I'm going to just tell you this. I spent the better part of a couple of hours just going through these old notebooks I have, clippings. Back in the day, Tracy, every time the reader would come out, uh, I would get a couple copies of it. I would clip my articles out. This is pre-internet, obviously, and then tape wow. it on a piece of paper and then put it uh, in a, uh, a a plastic folder and then I put it away in a notebook. I got notebooks going back. Well, I got notebooks of my clippings going back to the 70s. So when you sent that wow. thing out, I mean, it was like, I was like a, going to a therapist. I started going back and reading these old articles and I was like, didn't know which one I should take. You know what I'm saying? Because I've done, most people probably think of me now as a political columnist. I've been doing this gig uh, for, I don't know, 15 years or so. But before that, Tracy, I've been doing profiles, sports stories, neighborhood news stories. So I was really struggling with this one, Tracy, but I've decided that I'm going to go with characters, profiles of, um, of, of characters that I've written about over the years, including one, Rahm Emanuel, uh, before he was congressman, so uh, quite a challenge. When 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 will this one start uh, coming out? When will the reader be uh, releasing some of these uh, greatest hits? Um, yeah, at packages? least five of our writers, longtime writers, and some of them a little bit newer, are pulling together their favorite pieces. So Maya Dukmasova, of course, of, I guess on your show frequently. Um, Leo Galil, our music writer, who's the last full-time music writer in Chicago. Um, he's going to collect some of his favorite interviews. Um, we hope Deanna Isaac's going to work on some of her pieces over the decades. Um, and then Mike Stuller, some of his uh, favorite food writing, we're going to pull together in a book. We also hope to do some other ones um, with some other kinds of collections, including photos, 
So, you know, the thing is, the reader has is just a rich mine of, of content over the years. We've, we selected writers who are currently working with us so that we, you know, we can deal with that quickly. But the reader's 50th anniversary is next year. So these were some of the ideas we were percolating that we wanted to do for next year that were kind of accelerating. Um, so we can do multiple books for my, multiple writers, someone like you who has so much to offer. So the books will be available as we get them. Um, Jamie Ludwig on our staff is going to kind of go through them, and then we'll have a, a creative director format them for PDF downloads. So Leor's is probably going to be out first, maybe the end of next week or the following week, and then on a weekly basis we'll roll these out. Well, I'll be uh, spending the weekend compiling them and uh, doing my therapy sessions, reading these old articles. And then the part of the, <laughs> part of the problem is it's not a problem, but um, it's uh, what takes it so long is I start reading the articles. So I'll track down an yeah, article. I don't even remember my 1980 stories. I'm like, what? I wrote that. <laughs> well, I I'll, I told you this one yesterday. I'll just share this with people. So I started going through uh, about 1987, and because the uh, reader uh, internet archive goes back to mid 87, so I had stories preceding 1987 that um, I can't access through the internet. Uh, but anyway, so I started going through 1987, and there was an article that I wrote. Uh, about a young politician in Chicago named Edwin Eisendrath, who I think was at the time 29 or 30 and was deciding he was going to run for alderman of the 43rd Ward. And in those days, I was telling Tracy this yesterday, in those days the reader had this uh, habit of taking a photograph of the candidates who were running uh, in the same setting. So it wouldn't be separate photographs, they'd be together. They would force the candidates, the opposing candidates, to be in the same photo. And there was a picture of uh, Edwin and his opponent, a guy named Perkins, and they're in the old Belden Deli uh, on Belden and Clark Street, uh, and they're drinking cups of coffee and they're clicking the coffees, and they're so young, Tracy. I mean, uh, <laughs> they're just so young. And this is Edwin starting his career. Edwin Eisendrath uh, went on, of course, to become a businessman, and he was, at some point, he bought the Reader uh, and the Chicago Sun-Times, so... Uh, for a while, he was my boss, and uh, it was just so bizarre seeing Edwin's photograph from 1987. And so then, of course, I had to read the article. I took it out of the plastic folder and read the article, and it was really like a portal to, to the past. Um, so that's what I'll be spending my time. Yeah, so it's going to be kind of fun to see these, yeah, in, in a book form, long form. You know, journalism is, is not very popular these days, so... We're going to definitely bring it back for these books. And I know that there's people that are be interested in to see them. You're going to do a couple paragraphs just kind of updating people about some of the characters you've selected to, to write about. I mean, to, to re, re-energize, re, bring life back into them. Yeah, explain why it was I wrote about the person in the first place. Uh, and uh, now, Tracy, before we let you go, a few riffs from Tracy Bame on Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, doing a heck of a job of leading our country uh, through this crisis. Uh, it seems like he keeps changing his mind from one day to the next on whether it is a crisis, whether it's going to end soon, whether it's going to end later, whether we need ventilators, whether we have enough ventilators. Uh, I would have to say... Well, you know, I'm, I'm looking, yeah, I mean, I'm looking outside my window right now at some squirrels bearing nuts, and, and they very reminiscent of Trump. He's basically trying to bury the science, burying the test, burying any real information. And we're not even sure that out of the red states right now, we're actually getting accurate information. I think that they are trying to suppress the information, not just by now allowing the test, but even when the tests are coming out, when people are dying, they're not testing them. So we don't even know where, what, how big this iceberg is. 
um, that he has let loose on this country. Um, when this, when all is said and done, he's already a mass murderer in my mind. Um, but I do believe that there'll be a, a, some kind of reckoning that happens because we had the chance. We were lucky in the United States that we had a heads up. That South Korea had created an amazing template of how our country could have responded. We got our first cases right around the same date that South Korea did, our known cases, and how they handled it versus us is really, it really is criminal. Um, you know, there should be an international court for how some of these countries have handled this for their people, especially those who came after China, um, after Italy, that should have learned their lesson. So it, it really is shocking to me. And the most important thing, I think, right now is to support our healthcare workers out there. They are incredible. And all the other workers that are out there that are having to risk their lives, the, the garbage men and the grocery store clerks, we're learning as a country that the working class and the, the middle class, the healthcare workers, are really the backbone of this country. Um, it's really a shame in some ways that the primary didn't happen in a different timeline because I think right now we're experiencing democratic socialism in a, in a large-scale way where the corporations are just fine taking tax handouts, um, taxpayer handouts, and so are somebody else, everybody else lining up. And I think Bernie's message and some of the other messages of Elizabeth Warren and others would have resonated much more clearly had this happened in a different timeline. Well, that brings me to uh, one of the my favorite themes of the day, politically speaking. I agree with everything you just said about healthcare workers and uh, people working in grocery stores and people collect the garbage. Absolutely, they're on the front lines. They have to do the jobs that they're doing. They have to go outside. Uh, it's not like the knuckleheads in Chicago who frolicked to the, ran to the lakefront on the first nice day to play soccer. Um, these people mm -hmm. have to do their work and uh, because we couldn't have a functioning society without them. Uh, you know this, you read the story I wrote. I've had this um, mini obsession. You know, I get on these mini obsessions, Tracy, and I'm not done with it yet, that I believe that Joe, Joe Biden is not the right person to be leading the Democratic Party at this time. And I've believed that for many different reasons, uh, one of which is that he seems incapable of getting a straight sentence out at a time when we really need communication skills, when we need someone to reassure us or someone to present exactly what we have to do as a country to give us a, like a sobering analysis of what the problem is and what the solutions are and what the likelihood that it uh, the troubles will pass. I, I mean, Winston- Yeah, my feeling is yeah. that, you know, during the George W. Bush administration, Cheney was in charge. Um, Biden needs a similar but obviously progressive game plan with a vice president who's actually in charge of day to day, and that his, he is scripted. If he's the, if he gets to be the nominee, he needs to basically step aside and let the people that do have the capabilities, whether mentally or physically, to run this country. Whoever he picks as his vice president, she'll pick in all of his cabinet officers. The the best thing that Obama did because the president doesn't do this work is to pick the smartest people in the room to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what has to happen in order to pop him up. He will be a different kind of puppet. He'll be a puppet of the, the mainstream Democratic Party, um, but there has to be someone in there that can actually do the work in a minute-by-minute basis. Um, you know, I, I agree. I, I was not, you know, I was not supportive of his campaign. I think his time has passed. He's, um, you know, I, will, I was actually supportive of Warren. Um, and I think, Right now, she's showing that she could actually lead this country um, out of this darkness. Uh, I think she would have led very similarly to Obama, a team of rivals, but also pragmatically picking smartest people to run things. 
Um, the only hope I have is that Obama still does have the Council of Obama, I mean, sorry, Biden, would have the Council of Obama and other people from the Obama years that were the smartest people in the room at the time, um, as well as new people. And my worry is this rift within the party and the incompetence of the campaigning and probably the DNC, um, not the convention, on the whole, is that we're going to bungle, the Democrats are going to bungle this whole election season, and we're going to end up in the fall with a possibility that an election will be delayed and that we will lose more U.S. Supreme Court seats and that all sorts of things will happen because of disunity within the Democratic Party. Wow. That's even more pessimistic than I am. I was hoping, uh, and I'm probably going to write this uh, for the reader next week, I was hoping that the wise people in the Democratic Party would convene and you mentioned Obama, maybe be Obama would be half the guy to tell Joe Biden that he's not fit for to to lead the party and lead the country at this time. That's where I am right now. Well, those people, yeah, but those people won't pick Bernie either. That's the problem. Um, and and so then there'll still be this rift in the party. And if they pick someone way out of you know left field or middle field, wherever, um, that's going to cause another more disunity. Um, I don't know that there's one candidate out there who will unify the party anymore um that i just can't see who that might be um I, you know the people have talked to cuomo and some other things but cuomo has a huge amount of detractors within his own state within his own party um and you know how he's handling the prison crisis right now with covid is horrible um and and he created a lot of the mess of the public health care system in new york so i don't know that there's some dream candidate out there um I, the middle ground of the democratic party wants biden and if they do, then they must, it must be, there must be a compromise on the vice presidential pick and, and lay out the entire cabinet before the election. Every single cabinet position that and, and select um, on, a, on a, you know, binders full of cabinet people um, so that the voters, the voting public knows that, hey, this candidate from the Democratic Socialist side of the party is going to lead this effort. You know, this person's going to live and lead the environmental efforts. This person's going to be on CDC, et cetera, et cetera, so that the American people are voting for a whole slate uh, versus the the weak candidates at the top. Mm-hmm. Well, that uh, that's going to requ- that would be completely unique for uh, American politics. That the front runner, the 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 person at the top of the ticket, would essentially say. I know you have no faith in me as a leader, but look at all these people I'm going to be uh, naming to run the country. But it may come to that, uh, Tracy. It absolutely may may come to that. All right, Tracy Bain, one more time before we let you go, give out uh, the information for the Reader Coloring Book if folks uh, want to purchase it. ChicagoReader.com forward slash coloring book. Coloring book. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Ben. All right, take care, Tracy. That's Tracy Bame from the this Chicago. This coloring Re- book's really awesome, by the way, everybody. You should go check it out. There's a PDF version. There's an actual book, a copy that you can grab as well. Uh, you know, it's uh, if you want to find a way to help out the reader, a, a publication that helps us out tremendously, this is the way to do it. And you can color. Yeah. Man, when was the last time you uh, colored in a coloring book? Mm, about a week ago. You're uh, <laughs> a liar. No, that's You're not, a not terrible. True. We know it's not true. You're no, an awful liar. Okay, uh, that's not true. Uh, but I was at a um, a restaurant about a month ago. I want to say, D, uh, where they had 
like the children's coloring thing. There and, you go. You know, so I did that. But that's not a coloring book. Well, this is a really cool coloring book here. It looks like it's, you know, things throughout the city. Uh, I see a big, uh, that big lion statue that you see in the city. Uh, all kinds of stuff in this Chicago Reader coloring book. It's awesome. Like I said, you can get a PDF version and print it out, or you can just get a copy yourself. Uh, and very creative, and they thought of this real quick. Uh, the Chicago Reader... Uh, help out the Chicago Reader, and usually, you know, the Reader's free. Well, if you want to help out, get this coloring book. Good, good, uh, interesting comments by Tracy. I'm thinking about them, absorbing them as I speak, about the notion of Joe Biden running for president uh, and uh, having to announce in advance all the people that he would appoint to reassure folks that uh, he would not be running the government. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that because before we get to our interview with the Heartland Mamas, we love the Heartland Mamas. We're so glad they can join us by phone. Uh, I wanted to run this by you here. It's something we haven't talked about all week, and I feel like it's to the point now where we haven't talked about it to where people may believe that we're not talking about it on purpose, but I think it's we were genuinely forgetting about it. Uh, the following comes from Vox.com. Calm. Uh, last year, several women came forward publicly to say Joe Biden had kissed or touched them in ways that made them uncomfortable. One of them was Tara Reid, who said that Joe Biden used to, quote, put his hand on my shoulder and run his finger up my neck when she worked in a Senate office in 1993. Reid now says that there was more to her experience with Biden. In an interview with podcast host Katie Halper, which aired Wednesday, Reid said that Biden sexually assaulted her, pushing her against a wall and penetrating her with his fingers when she pulled away she says he said he thought she quote liked him has joe biden been uh responded to that one at all or have you seen any response to that uh i'm gonna keep looking here for the response as i read along uh, here uh, tiba buchanan sent that to me uh wednesday night a uh, good friend of the show tiba buchanan and uh that's the first i had heard of it man i'll tell you what I just just put that on on the list of every other thing that troubles me about Joe Biden. And listen, when I t talk about Joe Biden this way, the response from Biden lovers, and Heidi Henry's probably going to give me a hard time about this when she comes on the show too, uh, so I'm prepared for it, is to come at me and go, you're just sour grapes about Bernie. And I just got to tell you, folks, it's not like that. My whole life as a voter has been voting for nominees that I didn't vote for in the primary. I've always, I've had this tradition, I'm on the left. I, my candidates usually lose. And it's just a reality that I've dealt with. So I've long ago learned to adjust and accommodate myself to what the other voters in the Democratic primary like. So I'm not just doing this because Bernie lost. I find that Biden supporters in many ways are replicating all the bad virtues that they accuse Bernie supporters of having. Like this collective mind thought. They always say, you can't ever criticize uh, Bernie. They, he get, you get hammered by his supporters. Remember Obama saying, stop being so woke. Go back to sleep so we can control you. Well, I criticize Biden, all these Biden supporters. You're just a Bernie bro. You're just mad because Bernie lost. It turns it into this personality thing. Guys, oh, wake up. Your candidate is hugely flawed. You as a party have collectively supported a guy who cannot finish a sentence. We have fun playing the bits of Joe Biden's incompetence at talking about serious issues like the coronavirus epidemic, pandemic that the whole world is facing. 
So we we make fun of it to a certain degree. We have fun trying to decipher what he's saying, but he's a flawed candidate. And it gets a little hairier here, too. Uh, this comes from democracynow.org. Amy Goodman, uh, she was on uh, the station that fired you. Okay. Uh, it says here, uh, WCPTA20, by the way. Yeah, right. well, that's because she wasn't a local person. God, if she ever talked about the TIFF program, get out of here. <laughs> democracynow.org writes, uh, The Intercept is reporting that the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund, which is set up to help survivors of rape and sexual assault, uh, they've refused to fund the Me Too investigation into allegations against Joe Biden. The charges were brought by Tara Reid, who worked as a staff assistant from then Senator Biden in 1993. So, yeah, look, this isn't going to go anywhere. And I would just say this uh, to all the Biden lovers out there. And I know there's a lot of you. You love Joe Biden. I, I don't quite understand the love you have for Joe Biden, but I understand that you love Joe Biden. Um, he's a flawed candidate on many levels. And the part about what Tracy was saying that I disagreed with is that as leftist, let me put it for my own self, as a leftist, I'm capable of voting for a competent centrist. Andrew Cuomo, for instance, I agree with Tracy. So much of what he's, how he's ruled New York, I've disagreed with. He kind of reminds me of Rahm Emanuel. Uh, at the same time, this is a crisis that we're facing and he is showing a tremendous level of competence. Here in the state of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker is showing a tremendous amount of competence and empathy and uh, two qualities that are much in need in this country right now. I think either one of them would be better equipped to be the presidential candidate for the Democratic Party coming into this 2020 election than Joe Biden. And Biden lovers out there, you got to start looking in the mirror and asking yourselves the same question that you pose to Bernie supporters. Have you become too fanatical in your devotion and dedication to Joe Biden? I frankly don't understand your fanaticism for Joe Biden at all, but you got to ask yourself those questions. Are you going to lead your party off the cliff with a candidate who now he has this, a scandal emerging uh, with uh, Tara Reid's allegations against him. So on top of everything else, it just adds to what makes him such a flawed candidate. And I just think Biden supporters out there, you know, got to take this stuff seriously and stop pretending that all is well in the world and that all your problems are based on mean Bernie bros. That's my take on that one, D. All right. Well, uh, I'd like to take this time to um, maybe make my pitch uh, for 2020 POTUS, if you don't mind. Let me uh, cue this up here. <laughs> J.B. Pritzker, 2020. Once all this coronavirus is said and done, who knows when that is? J.B. Pritzker, 2020. What do you say, guys? Huh? Huh? Ben? Huh? This? this huh? Th okay. Cuomo beat it! <laughs> J.B., run for president, man! This is funny coming from Dennis. We point out just a couple days ago. Uh, I think you asked me it was on the air. You've asked me this before uh, in the past when we're driving in a car. JB Pritzker in 2024, and then I always say, "Well, that you're uh, assuming that the Democrats won't win in 2020," and that was the assumption you were working for 2024. And now you're saying JB Pritzker in 2020. Well, yeah, with all the talk of Cuomo and how the governors are handling this, JB's doing a top-notch job. What do you say? Stratton, get on in there once this is done. JB, run for president. Julian Stratton, now become governor. JB Pritzker, run for president. Yeah. Listen, I think JB Pritzker's done a great job. And and by the way, 
Biden lovers out there, I didn't vote for J.B. Pritzker in the primary. D knows that. I voted for Biss. Uh, I wish I voted for Bob Diver, but I voted for D- Biss. And uh, he proved me wrong. You know, he, he, he's he been a hell of a good governor just on progressive issues alone. I don't agree with absolutely everything with him. You, I don't think there would ever be a politician that I agree with absolutely everything. Even the great Harold Washington. I didn't agree with him at the end about uh, Sox Park. But J.P. Pritzker has been an outstanding governor. I just, every day, D, I say, thank goodness that he's our governor and Bruce Rauner is not our governor at this moment of crisis. What a difference two governors make. And so, yeah, I'm very, I'm very thankful uh, that J.B. Pritzker prevailed in the primary of 2018, that I was wrong. I admit I was wrong, you know, in that primary. Uh, and I think he would make a good president. I think he would make a good president. I was saying 2024. The hell with that. Let's go 2020. JB, jump on in. And for the record. I'm not a perfect person. (laughs) I'm not a perfect person either, JB Pritzker. That's for sure. JB, my mom thought you were a douchebag three weeks ago. (laughs) Now she loves you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we saw that JB charm when he came into the uh, studio. For real. Yeah. My mom was like, ah, you know, I didn't (laughs) like that Pritzker. But you know what? He's doing a great job. I like him. No, he's getting that Alton vote. All right. I'm the saying. Alton that's all vote. I'm saying. What do you think, live stream chat? Downloaders weigh in. J.B. Pritzker, 2020. Get well, her done. We're going to ask Heidi Henry that and Murray Beer that. Okay? We're going to see what the Heartland Mamas have to say about that. I can't remember. Did the Heartland Mamas support J.B. Pritzker in 2018? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. But as soon as he uh, won the primary, Dennis and I were aboard the J.B. Uh, train. Isn't that right, D? Yeah. <laughs> Slowly but surely. <laughs> it took him a while. It took him a while. He's a Bob Diver lover. I don't All right, everybody. I got to grab uh, the Heartland Mamas on the phone, and we're going to talk with them. Don't go anywhere. Plenty more Ben Jarofsky show on the way. Hey, shout out to our uh, other friend, Michael. Turns out we got a lot of fans uh, named Michael, and all of those Michaels play music. So our other friend, Michael, reached out and uh, sent us that song. Thank you so much. That's a great song. Uh, a little solo there at the end. That was awesome. All right. Uh, we're going to talk with the Heartland Mamas in moments. Remember, everybody, download uh, this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. We got Neil Muhammad. We got Joe Colley, the Chicago Bulls Sun-Times writer. Ben's pumped about the, He was so pumped talking to Joe Colley. Sports fans, go check it out. And also, we're going to do Oh, What a Week It Was. Maybe a Beyond the Column if we can, too. Uh, right now, we're going to grab the Heartland Mamas. So... Here we go. Here you go, Heartland Mamas. We just do it live, you know? Sir. Like Bill Riley. Yeah, do it live! <laughs> uh, just like Bill Riley. Oh, there's that. I love it when the phone rings. Yeah. Uh, it's oh. always a big moment. Oh. Hello. Hello. Heartland Hi, Mamas. Hi. That's oh. Murray. Is Heidi there? Yes, here I am. All Can right. You hear me? The Heartland Mamas. All right, I invited you guys to do a video chat as well if you guys want to look at each other while you talk. I guess that helps, you know. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. If not, no big deal. <laughs> yo, yo. <laughs> All right, Heartland Mamas, regulars on the Ben Jarofsky show. You have their, they, we call them the Heartland Mamas because they call themselves the Heartland Mamas. They have their own podcast called The Heartland Mamas. Uh, before we get That's started correct. with all the political stuff that today, we're just uh, doing a lot of, joe biden talk all of a sudden and i know heidi wants to weigh in on that uh but before we do that heidi i just want to send out my condolences to you and your family your father passed away uh, i think it was uh, uh last week or at least i saw the mention of it last week Why Thursday. Let, talk, yeah, a week, talk, a week ago yesterday 
Talk a little bit about your dad. Tell folks um, about your father. Well, my dad, a week ago Tuesday, made it to age 98. He was a child of the Depression. He was a World War II merchant marine, and he was like the cornerstone of my life. Um, he used to call it farm boy ingenuity. <laughs> so every time I find myself fixing stuff uh, in an unusual manner, kind of outside of the box, I, I attribute it to him. But he was a mechanical engineer and an, and an inventor, inventor. So um, he was just a great guy. And you know, just a huge, huge influence on my life. So politically, politically uh, influenced your life too, right? Well, my dad was, he was a Republican and he grew up in Milford and I'm trying to remember Milford, Illinois, near Coy County. And I'm trying to remember the state representative he had there. I can't think of her name right now, but they used to have a lot of political conversations and she would be more towards the libertarian end. And he was raised in that environment. As he aged, things changed. My father was a very devout Christian, and he really despised Donald Trump, really despised him, and uh, Hamer. And uh, so when, you know, but he had asked me about three weeks ago to vote for, well, three, four weeks ago to vote for Michael Bloomberg as he was dying. And I was like, oh, my God, just please don't ask me to do that. (laughs) So, but he, uh, uh, that was just, you know, he was, him and my mom used to have these really in-depth discussions. And I remember the first real fight I ever had with my parents was, uh, why Carter over Reagan? So, you know. <laughs> Wow. 1980, Carter over Reagan. Uh, got yeah. It. Yeah. One of my favorite campaigns. We I'll resist the temptation to take the deep dive there. By the way, before we get started, you mentioned Michael Bloomberg and a great riff that Heidi had. I think it was may have been the last show that you were on with us, Heidi uh, and Murray. I can't yeah. remember. They all come together after a while. But you talked about how the Bloomberg campaign reached out to you uh, to ask you to become an organizer for Bloomberg. And you turned, right. turned it down, even though the money was good. Uh, I went you, through four four in-depth phone calls with that, yeah. <laughs> and, of four course, he, he spent, I think, I forget how many hundreds of millions of dollars promoting mm-hmm. himself as a presidential candidate, ended up getting, yeah. I don't know how many delegates. Like 50. 15, yeah. is that it, Murray? He yeah. won American Samoa. He won American He's Samoa. He won American Samoa. There you go. <laughs> and uh, and so then he abandons his race and then says he's going to commit $18 million to the Democrats to defeat Trump. And I just I, I just got to pause and, and say, look, I welcome $18 million, obviously. It's right. way more money than I will ever see in my entire life. So I appreciate <laughs> $18 million. Having said that, I find it a little upsetting that the dude was willing to spend how many hundreds of millions of dollars promoting himself but as soon as it's not about him and it's just about saving the country from donald john trump it's down to 18 million you follow what i'm saying heidi henry and murray oh my gosh yeah 100 percent. and there's people suing him because they promised uh those people like heidi was going to work for them they promised uh, employment until November. They promised right. the laptop. They promised the car. Well, they are keeping apparently uh, folks on the ground in like six states across the country, and that's it. 
So all those people that were promised are now screwed over. So they have to take them to court to try to get what they were promised. Well, I could just see him now, you know, I could hear the, the tow truck coming now, beep, 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 ready to get the car. <laughs> but, uh, you know, right, a repo guy is going to be there. <laughs> Illinois is a very safe blue state, so no need to really employ me, employ me that long. But I, uh, man, I, I just couldn't work for him. He's just, him and I don't have the same ideology at all. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, uh, so, I would have voted for him over Trump. And uh, yes. there's no doubt, I think he's probably more competent in dealing with the coronavirus uh, pandemic than Donald well, Trump. wouldn't be. I'm sorry, I'd vote for a toddler over Donald Trump at this point. <laughs> I, I'd vote for my horse. An angry uh-huh. toddler, because they would be more rational than Trump. <laughs> Let's... Don't do that, Murray, when I'm drinking. <laughs> Murray, let's talk about something that uh, you and Heidi both uh, weighed in on with me when I was talking to you before we did the show. And uh, that's the coronavirus impact on rural areas. So much of the conversation is about how it hurts cities like New York and Chicago, et cetera. Talk about uh, its impact on rural areas. Yeah, well, it, there is a, there's a big impact on rural areas because as Heidi and I have talked about, you have, I think we talked last time you were on your show. There are times that you have to drive an hour to get to a hospital. Yes. So many rural hospitals have closed. Yes. And those health emergency health centers have closed because there's no money there. They're not able to stay afloat. So you have a lot of people in those areas with no access to adequate health care, with no access to, and, and with, with, well, adequate healthcare, but completely underwhelmed with what they're going to be facing very soon. Just because you live in a rural area doesn't mean you're not going to catch this. One of the things that really hit home for me is my dad, uh, also a veteran, Korea, Korean War, he is at the Laysell County Veterans Home. So we've seen a lot in the media about how uh, the, the elderly are being affected, and there was a little bit about veterans not being able to get us. Well, here we have homes for veterans who are recovering, who are disabled, who are elderly, and there's 180 beds. And the head nurse, the SIEU uh, liaison for that, is asking, this is a friend of mine, I guess there's asking for homemade masks and gowns. Yeah. You know, we haven't even, because even if they had a supply, those supplies that would normally be coming in are being given to other places. So there's so many problems that that they're facing, and and this is one of the most weak populations. And it's it's really bad. It's, yeah, it's it's very scary in that respect. It, It is very scary. And I think in addition to, to our rural hospital systems closing, I ran in the uh, 38th district and we lost a hospital in Streeter, Illinois, um, oh, a few years ago. And that hospital by and large is sat empty, uh, but it wasn't economically feasible for the larger hospital system that gobbled it up to keep it open. So they closed it. And what happens is when people get sick and they go there, they fly them out to somewhere else if they're really, really ill. And this created a huge amount of debt for people um if you're in streeter and you have an appendicitis and they fly you to peoria the helicopter ride alone 
it's going to cost you more than you're out of pocket. And that's, that's a, the reality of living in rural Illinois. Um, in Chicago, you have a multitude of hospitals to choose from. We don't have that. But I think the thing that, that's impressed me the most, and I left my uh, page up, my Facebook page, social media page for when I ran for office, I left it up under a slightly different name. But um, the loneliness that people are feeling, the people that I know that were alone before, that were single, living on their own, before now that their jobs are now at home or they're older and their social network has, uh, you know, their social interactions have been cut back. The overwhelming loneliness is, it's palpable. And I really feel for them, you know, when, when the meals on wheels guys, it, which sometimes is their only interaction during the day, just leaves it on the doorstep and runs or, um, you know, that, that's really hard. I mean, I, you know, I live on a farm. I'm used to not going anywhere for weeks on end because I always have work to do. But for people who don't do that, it's like, I, you know, I can go outside and take up, you know, 15 acres anytime I want and run around. But most people can't do that, you know, in our in our little tiny house. Heidi, and, yeah. I do have to say something in the suburbs. Now, remember, we go from a suburb to Juliet. Plainfield to Cornfield in like a 10 minute drive. Oh yeah. I mean like it is it's 50 50 there and I will say I'm home quite a bit because I work from home unless I'm out going to meetings or things but mostly I work at home and I always work outside because I need to be out. I like the sun. I like light and I'm used to my neighborhood. I know who walks, when they walk, where they walk, the whole nine yards. Well since the, the, the shelter in place I feel like I've seen more human beings <laughs> than I ever have before. And they're, they're doing this wrong. I'm seeing the joggers. I'm seeing, like, y'all are going to be in the emergency room with sprained ankles and torn muscles. They <laughs> just, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I share your frustration there, Marie. In city of Chicago, one lot repeat is we've already talked a lot about it, how everybody was flocking to the lakefront. Uh, to play soccer and basketball, uh, forgetting that the reason they're <laughs> off work is because they're supposed to be staying home. Uh, so, yeah, you can't always depend on people to do the rational thing. And it's particularly difficult uh, when so many of the messages are mixed. And I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, the Republican Party has been yeah. beaming out contradictory messages from the get-go on the issue of the coronavirus. And I think in part of it is just the raw political game they're yeah. playing. They do not want their exalted leader in any way to be diminished. And so they feel compelled <laughs> to minimize the impact of the, the virus. And so like, for instance, uh, unemployment, requests are up at an all-time high. So now they got to introduce right. the possibility, well, maybe we shouldn't uh, be staying home. Maybe we should be working anyway. It's, it's all about Trump. How is that impacting people out in your neck of the woods? Do you think it's endangering people because so many mixed Oh, hell yes. I'm sorry. I, 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 this has been like driving me bananas. Um, you are 100% right, spot on with what you said. It's those enablers that, political bubble that he's insulated with. Yeah. I really believe, yes. Is he deranged? Yes. Whether yeah. it's uh, dementia or some sort of Syphilis. disease. Okay, I wasn't <laughs> going there. I was gonorrhea. I don't know. Something riddled his brain from mm -hmm. time before. 
And he, I really think there are moments when he's being talked to by groups of people and all of a sudden he's like, oh, yeah, really? Oh, and he's compassionate and caring. And then the next thing you know, he's got his surrounders, his enablers, handlers pushing that narrative and he's like, oh, no, we're doing this. I don't really think he's controlling anything. I think that those are, in, like, remember when he went to the, uh, the, the baseball game, wasn't it? Uh, last Washington oh, the Nationals yeah. game, yeah. and he stood up and was like expecting all these this adulation. Yeah, and he got booze and and it, he looked shocked. Like, dude, do you not hear this? <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> like, well, how did he not know that people hate him? I, I think, think if he thought people hated him, he would start doing better things. I don't know. I see. I don't think he has any empathy at all, and. Um, the the thing that I I believe is the people that surround him, and I'm talking about Mnuchin and Azar uh, and uh, Kushner. I think they were trying to figure out a way, the best way to profit from this. So they're feeding him this narrative. Is that the train? Yeah, but I'm telling you, <laughs> the, the, we <laughs> we are right by the brown line. Yeah, right by the brown line, and yeah. the metro is right around the just down the road too. So yeah. You're going to hear train um, whistles. I had put duct tape over my husband, my boys, and all four dogs' mouths. Oh. <laughs> I think that's a joke, ladies and gentlemen, before that. Yeah, it is, but, it yeah. is totally a joke. Okay. I know you're going to get angry comments. Yeah. Duct tape for dogs. Well, I, the foxes ate my rooster, so you can't hear him anymore. But what I was going to say is that I really think that they were trying to find a way to um, to corner the market on on this on COVID-19 and when they couldn't in why they delayed the testing and they delayed everything else and if you look at what they were trying to do invent their own test invent their own way to to process the test uh, you know it just points to to that mercenary capitalism that I think caused this to blow up that in and just gross incompetence and vanity on behalf of Trump so uh, you know and where are the tests you know people People, anybody who wants a test should be able to get one without meeting stupid criteria. You know, if, if they think I've got influenza, they're going to be testing me like crazy. And I think that's a, the scariest part. We may never know what our numbers are. I think they're artificially suppressed because of the tests, you know, to make him look better. Well, and you asked you asked us how, how folks are doing out here. And, and, I, and I told you about the the nursing home that is for our veterans and how they're in dire need. I haven't done any cases reported there, but you know, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. But Plainfield, you've been to Mojo's in yeah. Plainfield. You guys did a show there, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. Jamie is a good friend of mine and she's a great liberal and she's awesome. And she had to close Mojo's. So, uh, but she's keeping delivery open and she's, you know, doing that to keep people employed. She employs 67 people in the community, which is a lot. And so we, we have this talk and she's just devastated. The uncertainty business banks won't work with them because there's too much of a liability. There's no federal assistance left. She can't even get the insurance companies to drop the dram shop insurance that she pays tens of thousands of dollars per month. When there's no one in, in the building, there's no liquor being sold. There's no need to suspend to have that insurance. But She's still paying for all of this, and she's very smart and very fiscally responsible. And she she was saying she's got she can probably do it 
for another two months, maybe go through the middle of the summer. And then, and here's a woman who, even though the people she had to let go that she couldn't keep, do you know they can call in the morning and every day they can come pick up a meal for them and their families? Mm -hmm. If she can't employ them, she's feeding them and their families. And, and it's hitting everyone in this. Now, Murray, out by me, there is one place that I know had carry out margaritas. I think they put a stop to it. But <laughs> Sorry. I won't, I won't throw them under the bus. Yeah. <laughs> we, and big to-go cups. But, uh, you uh, know. I'm going to reach out to Jamie, bring her on. Uh, she runs a great restaurant. And I'm really talking. Please do. She's yeah. amazing. Uh, and uh, so, Heidi, I have to uh, raise this question with you. Uh, you took issue with uh, mm -hmm. a column I wrote a while ago. We were talking a lot about yeah. it on the show. Uh, and let me just yeah. say this, preface everything I'm saying. I will vote for any Democrat over Donald Trump. Um, yeah. I agree with absolutely everything you both of you have been saying, and I can't say it enough. And to a certain degree, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir because almost all my listeners despise Trump and his policies, particularly now. Yeah. Just today, his vacillation on ventilators for New York is criminal. It's 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 criminal. It is. To it's criminal. We have to be able to sue for negligence, right? I, I there don't... has to be a way. Isn't the government, or don't we pay our taxes so that we have protections in place and that decisions can be made in our best interest? Can we sue for that? I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. I'll ask Jim Coogan about that. If it's just a product liability case, there's a podcaster, Tim Dillon, that uh, Dennis is a big fan of. We listen to him a lot. He's a comic. He doesn't really have strong leanings one way or the other, but he was the one who, well, how do you put it, D, that uh, uh, Donald Trump uh, would should lose his job, should have already been ousted just for the level oh my of God, the no yeah, and uh, gross incompetence and vanity. Yeah, it's, it, it's uh, it, it, incompetence. No, no boss. Well, now you know what it makes total sense. He's a business guy, and I'm, I have seen so many businesses run so piss poorly. Oops, excuse me for saying that word. That it makes total sense that people would keep someone that incompetent in leadership for a couple of years. But by year three, they should really be. Uh, yeah. I mean, Usually they have a board of directors that will, you know, compensate for it, but we don't have that. You know, we don't have any checks and balances anymore. And he, what he's talking about with the ventilators and the tests and everything else, it's criminal. People will die. Mm -hmm. This isn't a, people could die. This is people will die. Yeah. And it, it's just, it just kills you a little bit, you know? So, I mean, it, it hurts. Uh, to even think about and, you would have so, a leader so callous. So, and something else, Ben and Heidi, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, real quick, mm -hmm. uh, something else that goes right along with that is it's not just his vacillation. It's not just his incompetence. It's the following of the cult, the sycophants, the, those who still don't believe. I, I, I have a friend who's a respiratory therapist. It's her job. It's what she does. She's also a Trump supporter. And in February, February 25th, I said to her, hey, are you getting worried about the coronavirus? I mean, she's helped my kids breathe. And I'm like, are you starting to get worried? Are you guys starting to prepare? And she looks at me and says, that's a bunch of crap. Flu kills far more people than that does. We're not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. Saying it was a hoax. And I'm like, there are respiratory affairs, but how does this make sense? I uh, it boggles my mind. So people believe this narrative, and it's dangerous. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. So everything I did when I with that introduction was a prelude to what I w- wanted to raise. I know where you're so, going with yeah. this. <laughs> so I was like, I'm, I'll vote for anybody against Trump. But okay. I do believe that Joe Biden is a very flawed candidate and the oh, Democrats yeah. have to do Most better. And so I wrote a piece mm-hmm. uh, where I said, look, this is I was reacting to Joe Biden disappearing. Now I'm going to write another piece about Joe Biden's performance Being since everywhere. he reappeared, which is almost, almost makes me uh, wish we were back to the disappearing days of Joe Biden because the stuff yeah. he's been saying since he's reappeared is less assuring than the stuff he said when he didn't say anything. Uh, Heidi, you took exce- exception uh, to yeah. what I wrote. So explain well, your view on this. And when it came out, Ben, and I read it, you have to understand at the same time, my dad was literally dying. We'd already given him last rites twice. And, and um, so I was going through a really tough time and I would get, people would send me messages uh, to my phone and to my social media with a, a stupid uh, milk curtain with Joe Biden's face on it just to taunt me. And it's like, well, you know, what the hell? He's not an elected official. He has no role in this at all. So for him to take a little bit of a break and step back and let this unfold, you know, I think that's for the best because you can't follow him as a leader. He's not elected to any position. He was a past leader. And I think to expect him to be somewhere was absolutely ludicrous. I mean, Sanders still has a job in the Senate. I noticed that he did not show up for the vote on the CARES Act. And I realized why he can't because from the, a political aspect, it doesn't cover the things that he would have wanted to, it to cover. And for him to have given in on that would have been bad for his base. But he has a role. He has something he needs to do where Biden really doesn't have a role. So where is he? He's getting out of the way so stuff can get done. I think we have enough voices out there already competing to be heard. And um, and and I have to disagree with you as far as hearing him because I've heard him on a number of of talk shows and I think he's done uh, somebody told me he was going to be on The View and I've never ever watched The View in my life but um, I made a point to come in from the barn and watch it and it was comforting to have somebody make um, cohesive sentences when the alternative is well the alternative is Donald Trump right so multi-syllabic words are, right. are terrifying yeah so, and with, with some type of plan and program in place. Now, do I think he's the best candidate? You know that he wasn't the choice for Murray or I. I mean, we were, um, I made a, a concerted effort last year to meet all of the candidates, including Bernie Sanders, multiple times. And uh, of the candidates I met, I have to say, Biden was one of my favorites to meet because he's a warm and fuzzy person. And uh, Sanders was one of my least favorites because when I asked a question, I got referred to somebody who wanted to sell me tickets to his fundraiser that night so I could ask the question. And I thought, you know, I, I'm just asking questions here. I don't need to buy a ticket to your fundraiser. But um, so that was, but we kind of kept it to ourselves. Murray and I didn't say anything about any of the candidates. Um, well, you know, we did take down Tulsi Gabbard. But. Well, Tulsi Gabbard <laughs> is the only one we really went after. Because, we did. You know, <laughs> Poor Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah. I know, but she took herself out. But, you know, the thing with, with Bernie, and I think it's not him, it's his supporters that, come on, you guys, you don't, you need, I realized that they didn't know what I was going through in my personal life, but 
Um, I've at this point unfriended more bros in the last three weeks than uh, Trump supporters because I just I just can't I just can't even. It's like what? Just shut up already. The people Murray and I could see we went out to see him many times in Iowa. The guy's got no game, and if people are still voting for him without any game, then they're choosing based on how they feel. And it's not a conspiracy against Bernie Sanders. We need to just let the process play out. I I guess just sitting from the sidelines and watching, it's like, oh, come on. Just stop. Just stop so, it already. In, you know? in height, I, I, Ben, I 100% agree with you, man. Like, I think that we are making a terrible mistake um, if Joe Biden gets the nomination. And oh, that terrifies mistake. me. Uh, I'm praying that the, and I'm not a religious person, uh, so if I'm praying, that's terrifying to everyone <laughs> run for your life. That uh, enough people come out and say, forget this, we just want him gone. Dream world, we could have him resign six months in and let the bike. You made me laugh when I was drinking again. I know, we got the take over and that would be awesome. But um, it does concern me about him and the comparisons and, and what's going to happen as we go into November. But it's Heidi's point. Heidi is right. And I want to take it a step farther. Biden disappeared, but I don't think Biden disappeared. I think the reason he disappeared is because he and his consultants and anybody who works in politics, anybody who works in campaigns has no idea what to do. You go from a standard format, right? You go from your rallies, your ground game, your supporters, local, and, and this is constantly on the go. Joe had no digital media game whatsoever. No, none. So now, now yeah, you, have, no you don't know what to do. You don't know how to do voters. They don't know if they should have the message of a pick me, I'm not Trump, or are they trying to be bring the nation together, not be divisive. I mean, as a presidential campaign, from strictly the strategy perspective, I'm guarantee they're trying to figure out what the heck. That's why we haven't seen any ads for politicians, because anybody running is just trying to figure out how to navigate this without looking like a talent asshole or, uh, you know, a wimp. I think there's something to be said for that, too. Well, and I think, too, with, with this is that um, I think there just is a lot of voices. I don't think he's a terrible choice. I'm hoping he picks a really, really good VP. Um, but I, you know, I think at this point, as far as I'm concerned, picking between two 78-year-old white guys, not not where I wanted to be, you know, right now. Well, that's where we began the conversation. That's why I said as a prelude to, to just put out there how uh, uh, what an abomination Donald Trump is as a president, particularly oh, yeah. now in this crisis. So that's why I put that out there. Uh, number. So I, I will vote for Joe Biden if that's my uh, yeah. alternative to Trump. I will say this. I think that the Democratic Party chieftains, and I'm going to be urging them that, that they ever listen to me ever, have <laughs> got to take serious his limitations. And this is not about me being a Bernie Sanders voter. And I, I've said this, I'll say this many, many times, Heidi Murray, I have routinely 
voted for losing candidates in Democratic primaries and then turned around <laughs> and voted for the party nominee. I yeah. voted for Bill Clinton. He wasn't my choice back in 1992. No. I voted for Mike Dukakis. He wasn't my choice in 1988. I vo- voted for Walter Fritz Mondale. He wasn't my choice in 1984. Yeah. All right. I'm not even sure. No, I did vote for Jimmy Carter in 80 over Ted Kennedy. So that was the one case where I had my choice was victorious. So I'm just telling you, this is not about me being sour grapes about Bernie Sanders. This is me saying Joe Biden is not the best person to lead the Democrats against Donald Trump. And he's not the best person to lead the country in the face of this coronavirus pandemic. And I agree. I, can you can you picture the debate between Trump and um, and Biden? Oh, no, we want to need interpreters. We're going to need a Duolingo or a Rosetta Stone to interpret the two senile old white men on the stage. To, to Biden's defense, he's always always been like that. I had to go when when the ACA was first forming. I had to go to a bunch of meetings as an advocate. And it, he always, I think I've told you, Marie, gets his tongue wrapped around his eye tooth and he can't see what he's saying. He's always been like that. Now, uh, in, and to, to that point, why I really felt that he was just a decoy uh, all along because I really, he had no game at all. I mean, uh, the fact that he's done so well with no game at all means that people really want him. They really want that return. No, no, they they don't. They don't want want. They want stability. They want security. That's why they're voting for Yeah, they're not voting for progress or future. They're voting reactionary. And there's another factor that's just slowly emerging. And we talked about it briefly before you came on. And I don't, I've not seen Joe Biden's response, but uh, sexual assault allegations against Biden by Tara Reid. That's that's just emerging as an issue. It's a reality that Biden's going to have to confront on top of everything else. Uh, I I don't think I don't think I don't think there's any truth to that at all. I just you know I I looked at that and looked at it, and that that was the the other stuff that started coming into my inbox was you know he's a he's a rapist and all of this and I thought yeah you know it's real convenient that that comes up now you know. <laughs> Oh, remember the same sort of thing happened to Al Franken? Yeah, yeah. But I haven't read anything about it. I've only seen a few Twitter feeds, and I've been trying to source masks and gowns and figure out how to make them, and it can make them for the veterans. Uh, so I haven't really had a chance to dig in on that. I, you know, a big supporter of the Me Too movement, but it just seems like this one is awfully convenient, you know, to feed into that narrative, uh, in my opinion. I mean, you know, and I'm... Heck, if, if it's true, I'll take him out myself, you know? <laughs> yeah, we'll have to. Uh, Heidi Henry and Murray Brill, we should, uh, I'm going to have to let you go. We're going to have to sh- shut down the show for the day. The Heartland Mamas, and uh, you're still in business doing your podcast. Yeah. Tell folks how they- Yeah. I was actually online here uh, looking at your shows. You guys got a, a hell of a lot of shows here. You got Corona Conversations, uh, Shelter in Place, Corona Crazy. But there's one specific episode I wanted to ask you guys about. Help me out here. It's called Mitch the B blank blank CH. What is that? And, you know, that was a two-parter on, on Mitch yep. the Kennel. <laughs> yeah, we have a series called Ousting Eight the eight most vulnerable senators across the country to flip the Senate blue. 
And so because we have folks that listen to us all over the country, we're like, adopt a state if you're not in there. And Mitch just happens to fall into our vulnerable senators. And that was part part one of a two-part series. And we have um, we have a lot of ammo for for Mitch, Mitch, the lock keeper of the of the dark money, we the the dark money that flowed to get in the impeachment proceedings was uh, that in the Kavanaugh proceedings, amazing, amazing mm-hmm. how he opens and closes that that lock to to get the votes uh, to fall in line. So, you know, it, it, he's reprehensible, and he needs to Amy go. McGrath running against him, veteran mm-hmm. officer, fighter pilot. He is actually up by three points right now in, yeah. against Mitch. Yeah, I know McConnell. I'm, and the I, best part, I got to say, Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Jamie Harrison is challenging Lindsey yeah. Graham. Lindsey Graham, it's been a safe state. There's not a chance anyone would flip that, right? It's Lindsey's domain. And guess what? He's within four points of him. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Hey, I, I, did, I, I did want to add one more thing in, if I, if I could, about Adam Kinzinger. Who Bernie ran against, wanted to run against. Adam Kinzinger, uh, my my state representative, has been having these fake call shows. My congressman, yeah, for the 16th district here in Illinois, he's been having these fake phoning call shows where he calls you and says he wants you to join part of the conference. And we know that they're fake because he'll put you in a queue to ask a question, but he'll never get to you. And these calls have come in one day for one person, and in the same household, the same call has come in, and they put you in the queue again, but the same, like, like it's all pre-recorded stuff, so he's not even controlling it, and then he gets out there, and he, he's such a racist. He's, he just, him and the China virus, um, he's as reprehensible as Donald Trump, and I sure hope he's going down soon. Well, oh. you, guys, you guys do a fantastic podcast, tons of episodes. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, so many places. Tell everybody uh, the website, yeah. too. Heartland Mamas. Heartland Mamas. M-A-M-A-S dot com. Very Part good. of the Demcast Network. <laughs> Heidi Henry, Marie Briel, the Heartland Mamas, thank you so thank much. Thank you for having us. And uh, we'll be continuing the conversation. And I got a feeling that uh, even Heidi will be agreeing with me and Joe Biden within a month. We'll see. All right. Oh, no. Hey, listen, I'll vote. I'm a little blue no matter who. I just, uh, the bros, the bros have wrecked it for me. So. Uh, (laughs) All right, uh, bros. Leave Heidi alone, all right? Heidi Henry, thank Stop you much. Uh, Murray Briel, thank you very much. Uh, Ramana Hussein, thank you. Tracy Bame uh, also came through. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. What a job he's done, folks. He's not only wheeling and dealing on the board, he's making phone calls. He's <laughs> setting up these Facebook messengers. The man deserves a raise. And you know what they say, take it out of petty cash. Yes, indeed. They call him White Lightning back in Alton. Have a great weekend, everybody. Take care. All right, everybody. And don't forget this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. Sports fans, get ready. Ben gets his NBA fix when he talked with Joe Colley, the Chicago Bulls writer of the Chicago Sun-Times. Neil Muhammad, a very smart gentleman, joined us. He talks, uh, you know, the COVID-19 and uh, all kinds of politics with uh, Neil Muhammad. And don't forget, oh, what a week it was. I'm going to clip together our news from the week. Tell your friends about that if they haven't heard the show. It's a great way to refer to them on that one. And uh, we have one more interview with a lady from the Chicago Tribune. So be sure to check it out. We'll see you Tuesday.
I just Nearly a thousand biked miles. around Lake Michigan. I just biked around Lake Michigan. Nearly a thousand miles. That's correct.